4: Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today.
5: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and
4: me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
2: Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast.
6: All right, third hour. Clay and Buck is going right now, everybody. Thank you for rolling with. Plays on vacation. This is Buck coming to you from uh, South Florida today. I did see this very funny uh, comedian. Who was it? I can't remember who it was now. Um, if I remember, I'll give him full credit. But he said that every year around this time, America goes from making jokes about Florida to saying, "Hey, Florida, you got some room? Can I go hang out with you, Florida? Can I bring my whole family?" And it's pretty true right now. It's very busy, very busy down here, uh, which is a great thing. Hope you're doing well wherever you are across the country. And I know we're just, uh, a week out from, uh, from Christmas for those who, who celebrate. I'm a, I'm a low key, uh, Christmas. I'm low key about Christmas and about birthdays, which is probably good because, uh, my birthday is just a few days after Christmas. So I will be off. I will not be able to, um, uh, join you on my birthday this year. My good friend uh, Michael Barry will be in at the helm. Um but uh yeah, it's for me I just want to be with the people who matter. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a little uh, a little saccharin for some folks, but as I as I get older, um I find that you know, the gifts, the presents, the uh, I I do like the I like the like the I like the lovely Christmas decorations. I'm a Christmas decorations fan. We've got a pretty nice tree going. Carrie was a little worried. The tree was a little, uh, little patchy at the bottom. You know, a little sparse. A little bit like it was like a tree with a bit of a, a bit of a receding hairline at the bottom. wasn't wasn't really winning that that struggle. But we managed to uh, make it look quite nice with some, some excellent uh, ornaments and adornments and other things. So it's going quite well. We've even built a little fence around it so little Ginger can't uh, pull off all the. She just bit my toe. I, I'm not. Ow! I'm not kidding. She's under the desk right now as I'm doing the show. And now she is, uh, she's a puppy. And so I'm sorry on live radio. She did just, I'm just glad I didn't say anything I'm not allowed to say on the radio because she just bit my toe, but she bites with love. If you, uh, if you were to, you know what? I'll take a photo of this. We can put it up at clayandbuck.com. You can see who's riding, uh, riding, uh, you know, in the sidecar here with me since I, I don't have my, uh, my co-host Clay today, but I do have a little ginger here hanging out with me and apparently using my foot as a chew toy. So I had mentioned, I had mentioned, and that way also, if you hear any other exclamation from me during this coming out of nowhere, you know what's going on, Um, that there's this Harvard-Harris poll. It's 18 to 24-year-olds. So the youth, I guess this is, is this Gen Z or what comes after Gen Z? I, I think that these generation naming conventions are really just, it's, for people who work in the news to be able to refer to generations and for other generations to be like, that generation's the worst of all. You know, you, you got to name the younger generation. So the older generation could say they've got no work ethic. They, they've got no sense of what matters. They, you know, they, they haven't put in the time. I, I know how all this goes because it's great. Cause I'm actually, a, I'm a, I call it a gray beard millennial. I'm an old millennial. So I get to look at J, at, at Gen Z. And say, you know, they just expect it all to come so early and they don't want to put in the hours and, you know, all that stuff, right? I look at the Gen Z kids and I say to them, when I was your age, I was going to school barefoot, six feet of snow with a Walkman. And that Walkman, if you move too fast, you know what happened? It would stop working. Until you got those Walkman with like the special thing on it that you could move it and it wouldn't get messed up. But you know what I'm talking about. You know, my iPad shuffle would, would just run out of juice so fast. You have no idea with these smartphones how lucky you Gen Z kids are. You get what I'm saying. We all like to get off my lawn to the, the generation below us. But I gotta say, this Harvard Harris, these Harvard Harris results are troubling. I mean, you know, Biden has troubling polling results, but the country, and in case you're joining us, you didn't hear in the first hour, 34% approval for Biden. Uh the country is having uh, a bad moment here with what the polling of the youth shows us when it comes to Israel and Pal- well here we go they sent me the, the numbers here generation Y is 19 or which is millennials 19 a millennial sounds better 18, 80 to 94 generation Z 95 to 2009 alpha is 2010 to 24 okay so soon there will be generation beta and we'll have a lot of fun with that um 18 to 24 year olds 60% of polled 18 to 24 year olds in this Harvard Harris poll say that the October 7th mass casualty terror attack on Israel can be justified by Palestinian grievances 60% um this is appalling it's it's honestly troubling because to me what it signals, uh, what it symbolizes, is a generation where I know it's just one poll and it's just one issue, but it's a generation where we can't count on the most basic moral clarity. I, I don't see what could be more obvious uh, to anyone than what we saw as on October 7th as evil. And nothing can justify that. Uh, there, there is no political grievance in, in the world and in world history that could justify sending armed men into, uh, unarmed civilian settlements and have them murder people, rape people, um, torture people, kidnap people, including babies and little children. There is no grievance now or ever that could justify those kinds of actions, and yet 60% of 18- um, to 24-year-olds are of the mind that somehow that's okay. This is what we're seeing on the college campuses as well, when you have these these uh, sometimes very rowdy pro-Palestinian protests going on uh you see that there is a not only a lack of moral clarity but also a a dangerous and delusional self-righteousness that often motivates these young people uh in their protests and their uh, their demonstrations um now of the numbers here in the same poll 79% support the ideology that Says white people are oppressors, and 67% say that Jews are oppressors. This is this is the Harvard Harris date over the weekend. It's exactly what I've been telling you. The numbers align with what I've been saying. Why is the left in this country so many of these, uh, and particularly the the younger generation of the left? Why are they aligned with really with hamas and not just even the palestinian cause and and this notion of a two state solution I, this is a fantasy the two state so you're going to when when biden and harris and others say you ha, you have to reward this kind of behavior on october 7th by providing even more of a state they've had a state or something like it in gaza and it's a hellhole and it's horrible and one thing they don't talk about very much is that when the palestinian people elected Hamas as their representative government in Gaza. Hamas then went around murdering and executing the political rivals in its seizure of power. You know, one vote, one time. That's how they do things in Gaza. You know, at at some point, the people are responsible for the choices of those they have empowered to make choices for them. I, I know that can sound a bit harsh, but that is true. That is a reality. And... When you see these numbers, what, what you really, I think, uh, can't escape is exactly the analysis that I've been giving you here from the beginning of this, which is that it's not for, a, for, in America, in the Muslim world, it is anti-Semitism. Okay. In the Muslim world, it is about, uh, Jews. That is where the hatred comes from. And you see this, I mean, the, the amount of, and those of you who were, uh, you know, military, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about in Iraq, Afghanistan. They would always refer to uh, like special operations or anybody, national guard, say, Oh, they're doing the bidding of the Jews and all this stuff. I mean, the, the Jew hatred by, uh, jihadist, uh, radical Muslims was uh, talked about on the battlefield. It was in their propaganda. I mean, it was everywhere for them. It's about Jews and, anti- and, and, and that true sort of historic and present anti-Semitism. In this country, the imbeciles you see marching on campus and who are saying, you know, yeah, like free Palestine and like Israel's an oppressor and stop the genocide, they think it's white Jews who are oppressing brown Palestinians. It is white on brown oppression. And that is the only thing that they have to see in their minds. That's the only thing they have to know in order to make a moral judgment on this whole thing. And what you see is actually the... It's really a religious belief unto itself. Anti-racism is basically a religious belief now. um, Because it supersedes everything else. It, it, any other logic, any other context, anything else that you could bring to bear... um, Anti-racism... Uh, goes to another level. Anti-racism is the most important single, single thing that you can take into consideration, right? And really anti-racism is just a way of saying white people are wrong. That's, or bad and oppressive. Um, and this is how you can have such an overly simplistic and morally obtuse opinion from so many young people when it comes to the Israel-Palestine issue, which they know nothing about. And on the one hand, like so many things, it's enormously complex and complicated historically, but really morally and ethically, it's actually quite straightforward. And and I would agree, you know, Bill Maher had some pretty good moments on this. Why don't I, I'll come back and I'll play. He, he said some stuff over the weekend, believe it or not, on Israel that was very sound. He even did what I do, which is point out, you can do this for all of history. You can say that you're never going to move ahead or move forward, and... Hold yourself out as some kind of uh, martyr or hero, depending, based upon what happened 500 years ago, and do things to people today who have not wronged you because of what was done hundreds of years back by people who share your uh, your basic skin tone. Oh, this is something we need to uh, dissect some more and discuss, and we will. Eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. We've got a friend on this program, Dutch Mendenhall, an entrepreneur and a real estate investor. Dutch has introduced thousands of individuals to a way of looking at alternative investment vehicles, which are very capable of providing great returns. Dutch's full-time job is running a company by the name Rad Diversified, along with his co-founder. He's also made it a priority to write a book this year using a nickname he often refers to as the title, Money Shackles. What are these money shackles that Dutch refers to? Well, so most people think of when they think of debt. The kind you have with a car loan or a student loan, for instance. While that is often something to be frowned on, Dutch believes it's wrong that uh, to take that simple-minded approach sometimes. It's the wrong teaching. In his book, he'll give you his strategies to use debt to your advantage and tap into lucrative alternative investment vehicles to redefine your American dream. Get ready for the redefined American dream with the rad.com.
2: Sanity in an insane world.
5: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me,
4: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
6: So I sent the team, as promised, a photo of the uh, furry little elf that is nipping my feet when I'm doing a radio show here, a little Ginger. And uh, right now she's being, she's being pretty calm. She's great. She's great. She's uh, a lot of fun, um, but she does like to nibble. And she has sharp little teeth, but I'm bringing this up because we know we have so many, um, dog and cat lovers in this audience. And we wanted to take a moment here to say you can put your pets on social and tag, uh, Clay and Buck. And, uh, and we'll start putting some of them up on the website as well at clayandbuck.com. So at Clay and Buck on Twitter, or I guess on Instagram as well, guys. Same deal and uh clayandbuck.com will put some of them up because I'm we're putting up a little ginger photo she is uh she is here with me making sure that I stay on just the facts and just the news you know she doesn't want any uh, digressions she's very she's very specific about her radio content you know and uh, so i've got to keep her well informed to make sure she's a happy happy little pooch uh we've got some vip emails as well speaking of clayandbuck.com uh, let's get to this one. Matt writes, fear of Trump is a major motivator for Democrat voters and a campaign focus for Biden. If it looks like Joe is falling behind in the polls, fear of Trump increases and Democrat voters are more likely to get obsessed, motivated, involved, and show up. So, Matt, what you're saying to me in this uh, email seems to be that you think that they're trying to increase turnout by underestimating Biden in the polls, right? That that's the plan. The only thing that that comes to mind for me with that as a possible theory here is usually I'm told, oh, they're trying to depress turnout by making someone look weaker in the polls, right? So, I, you know, I, I think people argue that one both ways. Um, And there you go. Damon writes, Michelle Obama... Doesn't have to want the job because her husband wants it. She would just be a figurehead. I mean, David, I, I, I hear you. I've heard this theory and if I am wrong, uh, if I am wrong, I will eat humble pie on this one. No question. Okay. I'll, I will, uh, I'll tell everybody. Okay. I'm wrong. Um, but I just, I don't see it. I don't see it. I, you know, I, I can't have stake bets with all of you out there because if I'm wrong, I'd go bankrupt, but I really don't think that this Michelle uh, Obama plan is going to be what they go with. You know, I, I really just think that their plan is to use the Democrat apparatus to the best of their ability to just push forward Biden or Harris. Um, You know, I, I think that people... Uh, you know, for example, w- why would Harris be pushed aside for Michelle Obama in this scenario? And people say, oh, cause Kamala Harris is not a good politician, right? She's not charismatic. She's not. I, I mean, I- I've, you know, Michelle Obama can deliver a written speech, sure, but have you seen her on the campaign trail? I mean, I, I haven't. And when I say that, obviously she was with Barack, but I'm saying running as a candidate. Handling questions, sometimes even hostile questions from the crowd. Now, maybe they cover the whole thing um with the most partisan uh touch imaginable, right? Maybe they decide that they're all well, well of course they would, and that's enough. Um but I don't really I don't really see it. Um I still think it's not gonna happen. Uh here you go. Clay and Buck, this is from Pete. I just have a general observation. It drives me crazy that elected office holders refer to their occupation as public service while the rest of us have jobs. There, I feel better. You know, Pete, I, I, I get it. Um, I, I would argue that any job that is productive and honest and contributes is a public service. Any job. So for the, you know, whether you're listening right now, you're a, a, a trucker, a doctor, a, uh, a hardware store owner, an employee at a Fortune 500 company, you know, any job where you are producing and adding and giving a service or a product and doing so honestly, that is a public service. Uh the other thing that drives me nuts, I'll just say it is I, we got to stop with this referring to people by previous titles that they no longer have. I know I'm out, I know I'm out of my own on this one, but you know calling everyone ambassador or governor or whatever or even president not anymore i don't think that should be the way traveling overseas this christmas and new year's perhaps pure talk has you covered they've been busy this year adding international roaming in over 30 countries so if you're fortunate enough to be headed toward let's say rome or london or the beaches of the bahamas you'll have pure talk cell phone service you'll be covered without any rate increase PureTalk Talk saves the average-sized family almost a thousand dollars a year with plans starting at just twenty bucks a month, and they put you on America's most dependable 5G network, so the coverage is second to none. Switch to Pure Talk, it's my cell phone company, it's got great service, and this is a company that is all American in its values and in the way it approaches customer service. They're second to none. From your cell phone, dial pound two fifty, say the keywords Clay and Buck. Make the switch; you'll save an additional fifty percent off your first month. Again, dial pound two five zero and say Clay and Buck to start saving on wireless now. Now I got I got ginger on my lap. It is the season apparently. she's trying to chew through my mic cord, which would be bad. That would that would not. All right, you you got to get out of here. Sorry about that, team. She's uh, I I I don't think. Well, I guess it's made of rubber, but the mic cord doesn't taste very good. She knows she's only she's only allowed to be in the radio studio when I'm here because otherwise she gets herself into lots of trouble. All right, on to serious things. On to serious things. Um, uh, I mentioned the Bill Maher clip, and he gets into a bit of history. I think it's important history for people to know, and I think it's important to reframe a lot of the context in which we have this, you know, Israel um, Palestine discussion and and debate, and people talk about, oh. They talk about um, the last hundred years or so, and they don't talk about how this actually goes back a lot longer than that. And when you have the full historical context, I think it's much easier to come to a conclusion that is, well, rooted in sanity instead of what you're seeing from these young people who overwhelmingly side with the Palestinians. Here is Bill Maher speaking about... A Little Town of Bethlehem. Play
1: 13. I see a lot of nativity scenes when I'm out, as you always do before Christmas, and I can't help thinking about where that manger really is. It's in the West Bank on Palestinian land, controlled by the Palestinian Authority. In 1950, the little town of Bethlehem was 86% Christian. Now it's overwhelmingly Muslim. And that's my point tonight. Things change. To 2.3 billion Christians, there can be no more sacred site than where their savior was born. But they don't have it anymore. And yet no crusader army has geared up to take it back. Things change. Countries, boundaries, empires. Palestine was under the Ottoman Empire for 400 years. But today an Ottoman is something you put under your feet.
6: It's all true. Everything he's saying here is accurate. And as I've pointed out so many times in the past, um... The entirety of what we now think of as Turkey and much of the Near East would have been the Christian Orthodox Byzantine Empire. But you don't hear people saying, you know, Turkey, give it back, or at least not anyone that I know. You gotta move on at some point. Um, Because ultimately, if you, if you remove people far enough from what they have the ability to control, if you try to hold people to account for actions that they didn't do themselves and had no power to effectuate one way or another you're destroying the basis for morality for individual action for true culpability and for accountability and so that means you're never able to come to a moral conclusion about this because all you're left with is fights over who was worse historically or who did this or who did that to whom 100 years ago 500 years ago and for those who have been exposed to as I've said to uh, jihadist rhetoric in recent years I'm talking about the last decade or so they still talk about the in their you know propaganda pronouncements the loss of Andalusia of Spain as some uh, terrible calamity they still believe that any territory that has ever been a part of a muslim country or a muslim empire should still be and they have a right to violence to effectuate violence in order to achieve that goal. And I'm here to point out that is insane. That is a theory of effectively endless uh, and uh, endless war. And so Bill Maher points out the history of this. And he also goes further and talks about how if you're speaking of colonialism and conquest, and I have to remind people of this frequently, much of the Islamic world was historically a function of conquest. Much of the Islamic world was spread by the sword.
1: This is Bill Maher in f- clip 14. Play this one. No one knows more about being pushed off land than the Jews, including being almost wholly kicked out of every Arab country they once lived in. Yes, TikTok fans, ethnic cleansing happened both ways. Nobody was a bigger colonizer than the Muslim army that swept out of the Arabian desert and took over much of the world in a single century. And they didn't do it by asking. There's a reason Saudi Arabia's flag is a sword. There were deals on the table to share the land called Palestine in 1947, 93, 95, 98, 2000, 2008. And East Jerusalem could have been the capital of a Palestinian state that today might look more like Dubai than Gaza. Yes. Again, a knowledge
6: of the history here is useful in understanding what's really going on. But I I think that what you see is uh, the same mindset that has people um, fighting over our own history here and wanting to uh, position it in a very specific context. Is the mindset that is used to make the, uh, make people think the Palestinians are just this oppressed minority who have done nothing wrong. Um, in, in essence, when you have people in this country that are advocating, say, for the New York Times' 1619 project and trying to present that as the true history of this country, they do that so that America as we know it today is tainted, um, and should be thought of as an oppressive state and the only way to deal with this is to hand power to those who buy into this narrative to give them stuff to give them power um and it never ends and you might sit there and say well hold on i, I didn't you know i wasn't alive in 1619 i had nothing to do with this i i no one alive today um was touched by uh or was a part of of slavery in any context so it's isn't it unfair to hold us all responsible for this in some way. And also, how do you calculate, and this brings me to a, a little bit of a discussion around this monument, they're saying the uh, Confederate monument that they're taking down in uh, Arlington. It's really a Civil War, post-Civil War reconciliation monument. Um, you, you look at this and you say, well, how do you calculate the uh, the lives lost in the Civil War that ended the institution of slavery? Is there is there any credit given for that? You know, you start to look at this and say, uh, who is the arbiter of what is enough historically for us to move on? And I just think that unfortunately, in the case of of Palestine specifically, uh, and what we see going on right now in Gaza, it's a failed society with a failed narrative and failed attempts to bring the Jewish state, uh, Israel, to its knees. And so they're just desperate, always. To blame somebody else. You know, uh, victimology and the rejection of accountability leads to horrible things. Cause you're not living in reality. You are living by lies, right? You are refusing Solzhenitsyn's, um, advice, which is to live not by lies. And the, uh, whether it's Hamas or overall the Palestinian leadership in Gaza, they are constantly living by lies living by lies about history, about their current intentions, about their actions, about the morality of what they do and their terror campaigns and their willingness to even be uh, honest negotiating partners with the Israelis in any context. They are full of lies, and that is why no progress is made. Not just in dealing with the Israeli people, but no progress is made for the Palestinian people either. Because if you're not rooted in reality and truth, how are you ever going to fix things? So I give Bill Maher full credit for analysis that makes sense on this. And I think he's realized the woke left is, is uh, in the midst of a, of a mass delusion, uh, of a, a psychic epidemic, if you will. You know, if your phone's handy, grab it right now and download an app called Upside. It's a free app that helps you get cash back from every purchase you make, every gallon of gas, every grocery store purchase, every meal out. You know, I'm actually pretty low on gas right now. I'm going out tonight to see some friends. So guess what? On my way there, I'm going to be in my SUV, and I'm going to go to a gas station that Upside tells me to go to because I'm going to get a better price. I'm going to get cash back. Um, signing up takes all about two minutes, maybe even less than that. Use my name, Buck, when you download the Upside app. So this program gets the credit, and in the process, you'll get an extra $0.25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. Speaking of cash back on gas per, uh, purchases, the Upside app tells you how much cash you're getting back at each participating gas station, whether it's $0.35 cents or $0.40 cents per gallon, and it's always changing by a penny or two. It adds up. An Upside app user will save 300 bucks a year. At supermarkets, it's common to get 11 to 12% back on your total purchases. And at restaurants... Depending on where you go, you're getting like 3 to 7% cash back. It adds up. You know, use the Upside app. It's fun. It's going to save you hundreds of bucks. And by the way, downloading it is free. Download that Upside app now. Use promo code BUCK. You'll get the extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas. That's the Upside app in the App Store. Download it now and use my name, Buck, and you'll get taken care of. You'll be saving money.
2: (laughs) out with the guys on the sunday hang with clay and buck podcast a new episode every sunday find it on the iheart app or wherever you get your podcasts
0: more than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a
2: lot more movies
0: i'm your host alex fumero and each week i'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies from the godfather andy garcia
2: he has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny.
5: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me, Michael Rappaport,
4: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
6: That's one of my favorite Christmas songs. I'm just letting it go a little bit there because it puts me in a good Christmassy movie. We'll have discussions later this week about what is the best Christmas movie. And no, you will not be moved to the front of the call queue if you say die hard, which is a great movie, but it's, I mean, it is technically a Christmas movie. Obviously we have gone over this a million times, but it's not the most family friendly and ho 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 Christmas cheer kind of movie, obviously. Although he does write ho ho ho, now I have a machine gun too on someone. So there is that. Um, we have Johan in Palm Beach Gardens. On the phone, Johan, I am told you are a former tennis star.
7: Well, Buck, it's both an honor and a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I'm sitting here in my car. Every day I drive to Boca Raton where I have one of my businesses and uh, I listen to talk radio. So, um, yeah, I I have become a political junkie uh, the last 35 years, especially post-South Africa, which is my country of birth. I've became a United States citizen by naturalization in 1982. I've lived most of my life in Florida. It is absolutely astonishing for me to have seen how the parallels between the demise of my country of birth economically, morally, socially, the fabric of what's happened post mandela and what is happening in the United States. I've been saying for many years that South Africa is really The canary in the coal mine, so to speak, as it relates to all of the stuff that has happened two decades after what has already happened in South Africa. So I follow a lot of my friends from South Africa have moved around the world, left South Africa. Many have stayed. I still have family there, but I'm very close to the to the pulse of what's going on in South Africa economically, politically, socially, and it's an absolute basket case. But somehow the resiliency of those people in that country, now it's both black, white, pink, doesn't matter. They're all trying to survive.
6: What ha- and, uh, What's going on, by the way? I don't think much many of the people in this audience, Johan, understand what's happening right now in South Africa. It doesn't get much news coverage at all.
7: It is the saddest thing to see how the American press completely ignore world events that are happening very far away. And, um, yeah, so, you know... Um, there was a very, very smart guy by the name of Hendrik van der Beel that in the late 1800s and early 1900s was basically on par with the Teslas of the world, the, the, the JP Morgans of the world. He was an incredibly smart guy. He was an engineer. And he ended up in, uh, in Massachusetts to further his career and then decided, no, he doesn't want to stay in the United States. And he went back to South Africa in the late uh, 1910s, 1920s and started the infrastructure for the grid, the electrical grid. And uh, there is a uh, company that he started, what's called Eskom, E-S-K-O-M. And uh, he didn't take it privately. He could have been a multi-trillionaire by now, like a, like a Elon Musk, even maybe richer. But uh, he ended up making it so that it would be for the country of South Africa. And he was a white guy. And so Eskom became the grid for electricity. And we were so big that it was one of the four biggest, most profitable com- companies in the world in the 1950s. And today, Eskom was nationalized, the ANC party, with is now Nelson Mandela's party. And by the way, Nelson Mandela will probably turn in his grave if he knows what's going on. But uh, it is now a nationalized company that has become one of the most amazing thefts in the history of the world in terms of how many syndicates are involved with Eskom. Because Eskom used to be able to provide electricity as far as Egypt from South Africa. That's 5,000 miles and now we can't even we can't even provide electricity for every city or town or village in, the, in in south africa so
1: well what happened
2: now
7: something now they have something called load shedding oh it's decades post mandela of uh, of theft mismanagement um there was a a white guy that was the, uh, the ceo of eskom he had to flee the country because they tried to poison him because he was outing all of these criminal syndicates in eskom and, uh, his name is Derreiter, and he's actually living in the United States now. He had to leave. He had to leave the country. They were going to kill him.
6: So I mean, what is similar, my my what's the similarity, him. um, Johan, that you're seeing with the, with the collapse in South Africa and you're seeing here? I mean, give me some, some concrete examples for this audience.
7: Well, to give you context, I grew up as a farmer in South Africa. So I'm the citizen, I'm, I'm the offspring of a Boer, a B-O-E-R, which is an African-speaking yeah. farmer. And so I grew up speaking Zulu. Because my parents were sugar farmers, so incidentally, if I want to smell like I'm back home, I drive into Cluist and smell that sugarcane that's been burned here. That's another situation. But uh, the the fact is that these leftist ideology uh, politicians that get into power, very similarly to what happened to uh, Mandela and what happened to Cyril Ramaphosa, which is typically now the uh, the, the, the the South African president, absolutely. Useless for the country. Absolutely useless. The ANC party is just theft. It's just incredible theft by these cronies. And so I see the same parallels in America. And that's not just in politics. It's also the moral corruption and the social fabric of how people are being dispersed and being divided and how everything is the white man's fault basically. And it's just, it's, it's grinding for me to see how the parallels in South Africa and Zimbabwe It's rearing its ugly head here in America, which I never thought I would say, ever in my life. I've been here now uh, since 1978. As a 19-year-old, I arrived in America and made a life of myself out of $230 I had in my wallet. And the fact of the matter is, you got to just go on YouTube and listen to what Joe Biden, as a young congressman, said about the South African government, which was white-controlled back in the 70s and early 80s, and what he said about... The Afrikaner and the whites in South Africa. It's all of this feel-good leftist ideology, policies. The pressure from all divestment in the colleges in America has fed into this narrative that every white person in South Africa is, is a bastard and an oppressor. And it's nowhere near that simplistic. That simplistic. It is a very complicated situation. And by the way, you know where the I mean, I see all these. Uh, Harvard, and the, the apartheid word is a, is a word in Afrikaans that means separateness, okay? I see apartheid uh, banners at the uh, Harvard University, MIT, Penn, and I follow the news like a hawk, and I listen and I read a lot. And it's sad to see how they are using that word to smear Israel
6: as well uh johan we have to leave it there that's johan creek who was the australian open champ australian open champion in 81 and 82 by the way so uh international tennis star listens to the show and had some really interesting things to say more tomorrow team i'll talk to you then more than a movie
0: is back with season two i'm your host alex fumero and each week i'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies from the godfather andy garcia
2: he has the smarts